Ari Sussman, whiskey maker at Whiskey Gypsy. Pour a dram, settle in. This is a Cask Chasers podcast. cast chasers so i in the mail i got a book and normally i don't get a book in the mail but i got a book in the mail i can't read so um it was an interesting choice to send me but i opened the book and inside of it is whiskey uh gypsy whiskey specifically um so this is really cool this is one of those celebrity whiskeys uh you know how i feel about those i only accept the ones i like on the show because celebrity whiskeys are interesting um, but sometimes they're real, sometimes they're not, let's be honest. So, uh, Mr. Church, uh, partnered with this one, but today I have his maker on the show, which is who you really want to talk to on a whiskey podcast. You want to talk to the person who's actually making it. Do they even believe in it? And, uh, he put his life, his love and his passion in this bottle. I'm already sipping it. So he's on the show. So, you know, I like it. I mean, let's, let's be honest <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, but, uh, I can't wait to talk about it and learn a little bit more about the man that, uh, backpacked the world, bartended everywhere, and more importantly, raised ostriches. We'll get into that too. So, uh, my friend Ari, how are you, buddy? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. It's great to be here. My absolute pleasure. So first off, literally the coolest packaging I've ever gotten. In a, in a sample bottle sent to me. Um, it is legitimately a book with one of the cutouts and the bottle, like a secret compartment hidden in the book and the bottle sitting. Yeah. I'll take pictures on, on Instagram and post it. But uh, this is the most um, aggressive use of paper slash coolest um, bottle, boxing option I've ever seen in my entire life. This is freaking rad. Um, I may I may just keep buying bottles in this size just so I can put it on my shelf instead of the full size bottles. Uh, so very cool. I love a good packaging. Um, but you made it. This is you're in it. Screw the book. You made the whiskey, right? Well, you know, no disrespect to the book. Yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's a heck of a book, and it's a real book. Yeah, I mean, for real, yeah. It's put a lo- it up to your nose. It smells like a real book. It's like high quality oh, it paper. Does. Cool. I mean, it, it's, it, it is a book. We made a book. Yeah. And then we cut a little bottle shape out because we were so inspired by the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Uh, where he puts a little rock hammer in, in the book. Yeah, um, that's right. But that's... when when uh, when Eric and, and Raj, the two co-founders, and I first started chatting, you know, conversations went to uh, all kinds of stories about travels, but also books. We're all... Uh, we're all it's a bunch of bookworms in, uh, in in this company, and we love books. We're inspired by books, and when it came time to introduce ourselves, we thought a book would be a good way of doing that. I, I mean, to 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 take your cool metaphor or your your and to kind of keep going with it at nauseum, um, which is what I like to do. Um, it, whiskey is a story. It truly is a story, and uh, it, you know you're a maker, but you're you're a storyteller. It's got to taste different, unique, and it's got to speak to like 
I think in this world of spirits, the reason I have a podcast is because people like you are our rock stars. You know, there's a rock and roll podcast, movie podcast. I mean, hell, there's a podcast for everything. But in my world, makers are our heroes because you can taste the story. There's a different story. There's a different approach. It's an artist kind of thing. So a book is a great metaphor because, you know, depending on your genre of book or whatever, the way the author, author writes it is unique. to You know a Stephen King book when you read it. It just, this feels very Stephen King, you know what I mean, or, or, or what have you. You know the author when you read the book, um, regardless of the genre. You know the author, and that's important. And sometimes it's the way you tell the story. This is, so Eric Church, country music singer, um, with a little new age to him, you know what I mean? His music's a little, I, I think if you're not an old school country fan, you can really get into his music too. Um, it's kind of open to everybody. He's a storyteller. We see a lot of storytellers in that world get into this business, put their name on a bottle, um, or white labeling we call it sometimes. But what we don't get to do is peek behind the corner a lot and talk to somebody that's actually saying, okay, I believe in what you're doing. You're a passionate you know, buying and selling is very emotional. What better person to do that than a, music, a musician, an artist, but to find another artist that can see eye to eye with it and create something that speaks to the name Gypsy, the singer, and also to put your influence in it. Can you talk a little bit about that first interaction and your thoughts? I mean, where, when you were first approached, what were your opinions? What were you, what were you thinking? What was going through your head with, okay, Am I really doing this? Yeah. So you actually brought up a lot of interesting points earlier. I do talking that. about so you every once in a while you have a tendency, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You you talked about celebrity whiskeys and sometimes they're real and sometimes they're not. And we can get into what that means. But you know, for me, what that kind of comes down to, and you can substitute celebrity for just kind of brands in general, is you're either white labeling, you're, you're buying product, you're, you're putting your autograph on the bottle so that you can mainline that commodity product to you know the target demographic. And then at the end of the day, you flip it and you make a check and you move on to the next project. That's like your typical celebrity, mm. you know, product. Um, and I, I'm a whiskey maker and get solicited, you know, to have conversations every once in a while because starting the spirits brand is attractive to a lot of people because they've seen success sure, in the sure. industry, you know, however people want to define that word. Um, but, it, you know, what does it mean to be a real brand in that case? And I think you kind of touched upon that when you talked about storytelling, um, because the whiskey industry is the storytelling business, right? It's you, you really want to have a story, something that people can connect to. I mean, unlike a commercial front, you want to you want to take people on a on a figurative yeah. journey, right? And in first communications with 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 Eric and with Raj, it my first question is always, you know, are you A or B? Are you sticking your name on a bottle and trying to flip this really quickly? Or are you interested in telling a story? And we're all storytellers. Our lives are stories. Sure. So we're the main character, right? And and uh, and Raj is a storyteller. He's had an amazing life himself. Um, he's very much the author of his own life. And Eric is a real poet and storyteller and performer and musician and sort of inspired by the muse and carves his own path. Uh, so the first interaction was really me trying to figure out what 
which one of these roads these guys wanted to go down. Do you want to just put your name on a bottle and flip it really quickly? If so, I'm not interested. Mm. Uh, there's a bunch of other people who could probably do that a lot better than I could, mm-hmm. um, because I I want to get I want to get into the dirt. I want to get into the stories. I want to make spirits that reflect who we are, what we're doing, our perspectives. And you know, Eric was very clear. That's his approach to songwriting. That's his approach to music. Barrage, that was his approach to life and his approach to business. And uh, we all really aligned on that point. So the initial conversation was very much uh, them trying to feel me out. Like, do I know what I'm talking about? Or is this some sort of huckster? Uh, and, and I was trying to feel them out to see, are, do these folks really, are they interested in sort of strapping our rafts together, all going in the same direction and like building something together? Um, that was my question, and they answered that very clearly. They want to break the rules. They want to do things that people haven't tried before. Uh, they want spirits that are going to challenge the market and maybe disrupt the market a little bit, maybe inject new ideas and new stories into American whiskey making, which can be a little predictable. America, mm. The American whiskey industry can be a little predictable. Mm. Um, and just like the music industry can be predictable or business can be predictable. Um, so, but there was a lot of electricity and a lot of like really good energy, creative energy around our first interactions, which I think gave all of us a lot of uh, hope um, and confidence that that we were going to do something pretty interesting together. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And in, you know, studying your story and the team's story, it's one thing, you know, like you, I'm approached by outside industries and I have a, you know, a a good following and everything. And I think people want to come on this stage and, you know, sell their wares. I try to be very careful about telling my listeners I'm into something when I'm not. I try to, is this A or B to your point? So I really have to believe in it. I really have to think, okay, I think this is something I can get behind. And then of course, taste the spirit. And I think, okay, yeah, this is good. And typically, cool book aside, great leader aside, you know, um, great musician, great artist. I love art. I love that whole perspective. What's in the bottle? And the and the bottle is fantastic. You kind of alluded to this a little bit. The difficulty with American whiskey is Americans in general are very, you know, it's this way or no way. We 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 like it. You know, why change it? You know, we, we, in everything in politics and, and what we eat and everything else, it's, it's gotta be this way. And this is the way my mama made it. And this is the way her mama made it. But I think there's this new growth in our country that's allowed for people like you to kind of develop. I see it in beer, you know, beer got really weird and funky, um, in your travels to take somebody like you with the background you have and then to say, Hey, make me an American whiskey, but don't be traditional. You know what I mean? To the point where it robs, where it robs an artistic kind of angle that's a little bit different than what we're used to. When I'm sipping this whiskey, and we're going to get into it, uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about your approach first and your background. But when I'm sipping this whiskey, it's like, okay, this is an American whiskey, and then immediately it's like, well, wait a second, something's different here. This is, and I'm thinking, you know, my brain goes to. 
did he play with a grain differently? It's how is this aging process? What kind of yeast is this guy using? You know, temperature is he, what's he playing with in his laboratory to make it to kind of give it something that I'm not used to in a very, very good way. It is unique and it speaks to itself, which is what I love about American whiskeys that breaks down the wall of everything has to taste like bourbon. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I digress mm-hmm. a little bit. Can we tell me about your travels a little bit and what you bring to the table that you've seen out there that you've been attracted to? Because this is unique in the bottle. I'm talking in the bottle. This is unique in a very good way. What did, what, what's your process? What are you thinking? What have you brought here? What have you seen in your travels? Tell me your whole life story, everything about you, and you have five minutes to do it. <laughs> Quick, start the clock. <laughs> so, no, that's a good question. I mean, the question, you know, how does, how does your life experience mm. uh, influence the work that you do mm. and the choices that you make and the artistic direction that you choose to take, right? right? Um, so just, I mean, a little bit about me. Uh, I, I traveled a lot as a young person, as a, as a kid. I lived in the Middle East, came back, lived in the United States. Was um, I got really into food and beverage at a fairly early age. Uh, I come from a family of chefs. Uh, food and drink were always a part of family get-togethers, big family, lots of get-togethers. So food and drink is not just a matter of sustenance. Um, drink is just not about getting drunk. It's about the community. It's about coming together. Uh, grew up with traditional foods and going to lots of you know diverse restaurants. And then later on, um, traveled to the backpacking thing uh, across Europe, busking in the streets uh, for cash. Um and the reason I did that and, and lived in the Middle East again and worked on an ostrich farm for, for a little while and, and did some other kind of weird jobs is because uh, you want to have a variety of experiences so that you can be a well-rounded human being, yeah. so that you can be a person who can approach their life using a variety of experiences and lenses to make decisions, and which is very different from, you know, you were talking about um, – the difficulty in American whiskey and people get stuck in their ways and tradition becomes sort of this limiting thing. Tradition doesn't have to be a limiting thing, particularly when you can see how different traditions work together. And if you're stuck in a single tradition, then you're going to, I think, kind of be hamstrung and you're going to be very limited in what you can do. But if you can reimagine tradition, which is one of our mantras that we come back to in in, in this company is you've got to reimagine tradition. Uh, you're, You're unbound by tradition, whether you're reimagining tradition or unbound by tradition, which are these things that we always remind ourselves here, you have to know what tradition is. You have to live it, breathe it, fully understand it. But just like in this, you know, the concept for this whiskey came directly from Eric's art. Um, I'm inspired by his artistry. And one of the things that I'm really inspired by about his art, and I tried to put this in the whiskey, we tried to put this in the whiskey, is his music, uh, is very much in the form of country music and it, it's from like it's got a great nashville vibe to it but there is the interweaving of a lot of traditions you listen to this music you're gonna hear allman brothers style rock and roll you're gonna hear arena rock guy is a performer like springsteen i mean he's like the audience is one of the instruments that that he's able to like manipulate and play not manipulate in a nefarious way but like yeah he he can, he can, he's like a conductor of the audience through his music. It's remarkable. Um, Very Freddie Mercury of him. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's just, he's a great front man. 
Like he's just great. No, he is. And, uh, and when I heard his music and I heard, and I heard the, the, the sort of Scotch Irish balladeer and the Appalachian, it was all kind of coming together in, in his music, very much in the form of country music, but he understood these traditions. And it, it got me thinking about making a whiskey that also understood various whiskey making traditions, but could kind of like interweave them in a new way. Um, so what this whiskey is, and you've you know, alluded to the liquid. It's it's an international blend, really, and it's the first of a series of international blends. So whether we want to call that an American whiskey or not, because some of the whiskey is from the United States, some of the whiskey Canada, is from Canada. Yeah. Uh, future releases will have whiskeys from you know other places because the concept of 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 uh, whiskey gypsy is to sort of be agnostic about geographical boundaries, about oh, political designations. That doesn't really have an effect on the quality of whiskey being produced in different places. And just like Eric's music can bring these traditions from all over the world into the form of country music, we're looking to bring great whiskeys, grain, usually grain forward whiskeys, um, bring them together in new places with complete disregard to where they come from. It's kind of like imagine you go to a bar <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and you're sitting next to really interesting people and it doesn't matter where they come from. You're all together now and you're vibing and you're having a great time. And, you know, I, in my travels, I was, I, I apprenticed as a winemaker for a while in France, uh, picked up winemaking, blending traditions, understood how if uh, certain traditional blends of winemaking can blend, uh, you know, Cabernet and Merlot and, and, and different varietals of, of grapes together. And you know, winemakers understand that you have freedom, that you can blend these different things together. It's not a problem. In fact, it's one of the great things about being a winemaker is, uh, you know, some, some winemakers are out there tending to the grapes, tending to the vines. Others are going and sourcing really great wine and blending it in new and unique ways. Both of those are really great ways of winemaking. But I think we were inspired um, by sort of the winemakers traditions and, and blending in general and all of the different uh, forms of art that involve blending, including perfume making, which has its own techniques, sure. which you can incorporate into whiskey making. Um, so just, you know, a variety of perspectives and traditions and, and sort of our sister industries and winemaking and brewing and perfumery. We're, we're sort of bringing all of those traditions together in well, whiskey chips. I mean, it's funny because it all makes sense, not to get too saturated in history, but distilling in general came from oil making, perfume making. I mean, it was that first, you know, that's you mm -hmm. distilled oils and you distilled perfumes and whatnot, carriers of of fragrances and stuff in the Middle East specifically. That's where distilling comes from. So it all kind of comes back around. Um, blending to me is a more appreciated now, but for a long time is such an underappreciated art form. I remember having a conversation with Lisa Wicker, um, who came from the wine industry and and now is, you know, a rock star in the in the whiskey world. She was explaining blending to me, wine blending and how it correlates to whiskey blending. And I've seen people make whiskey, I mean in time, I've seen them distill it, take the run, throw it in a barrel. I mean there's more to it and it ages, and then taste it, and here we go, we got a good whiskey, we got a good bourbon, we got a good whatever. And that's awesome, and that's a science, and there's mess, and there's 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 craft to that, and I'm not taking away from it. But when blending is explained to me, I, th I remember the first time I thought, that's exceptionally difficult. 
you have to be a chef. You have to have, you have to be a conductor in your own right because you can jack it up. And you can, you can be a, the great thing about being a blender is you can be traditional. And I know I keep using the word American whiskey because that's what I'm reminded of. This is blended from, you know, Canadian and, and, and hopefully more and difference and changes. I like that. I like that boundary kind of thing, but it reminds me of like barbecue sauce and in, I taste your whiskey. And then thinking about your story, my wife and I went to Virginia um, this weekend and there's this in Williamsburg, there's this little barbecue place we went to. And there's two typical types of barbecue sauce. There's your, you know, tomato base, you know, sweeter, brown sugar, kind of whatever, in a Texas area. And then, then there's your South Carolina vinegar based. And that's kind of what it is, very traditional. So I'm having this barbecue sauce and I'm, I'm eating it. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's a vinegar base. This is pretty, is that cinnamon and nutmeg? And I could not even listen to my wife talk. I don't even know what she was saying. She was rambling. I was dipping my fries in the sauce. I was dipping, I just, my finger, I, mean, I was having this, like, what am I tasting in this traditional sauce that's a little bit different and has a little something else? That is a blend, that is what blending means to me. Tradition with a, a little kick of, you know, it's like a Bob Ross painting and then somebody goes in and throws an alien spaceship up there and they're like, okay, all right, I see Bob Ross, but what's going on up here in the corner? That's kind of what I get from a good blender. It's 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 unique in that way, and I I think you can only get that from a master blender, somebody that can really blend a whiskey um, with with craftsmanship and artistry. I, my point of this rant was we we don't look deep enough into how important and how masterful a blend can be, and important it can be, and taking ingredients from different locations, being brave enough. Can I call you brave? Uh, to, 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 to pull, to pull from Canadian whiskeys of all whiskeys and other whiskeys out there and to, uh, you're in the perfect time to give this to a country that, that, that's sticklers, you know, to be, to be honest with you and they love their Weller, you know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's interesting, but it's different and it's still the same, but it's also not the same. So that ran is to say, don't take, I don't take away, I don't lose the, the 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 artistry of blending is not lost on me, and the curiosity behind it is not lost on me. And I see, hear the same thing in his music; it's it's rem- reminiscent of country music, but it also it also feels like it's something it's, it's different. And I think it's scary a little bit. And it's like, is this my style? How do you even define what kind of music? If if this becomes my favorite whiskey, what do I tell people I drink? You know what I mean? Well, what's your favorite whiskey? It's you've never had it. I don't know. It's not a bourbon. It's not a scotch. It's a thing. It's its own thing. Some guy made it. I don't know how to explain it. Here, it's a book. You know what I mean? I like that. I, I, I totally know what you mean. And you made me think of something. You know, there's a big difference um, in in places in the world where distilling is considered sort of the highest art form in the spirits world and places in the world where blending is considered mm-hmm. the highest art form. I'm not of the opinion that one or the other is necessarily higher, but different areas or different whiskey making traditions tend to elevate those two different parts of the process. Sure. And I, I spent about half a decade working with a really wonderful gentleman, a guy named Dr. Chris Berglund, uh, who founded the, pro- the distilling program at Michigan State University, which was the first distilling program in the country. And working with Dr. Berglund, he was uh, brilliant when it came to the art and science of fermentation and distillation. 
everything from selecting the right kind of grain to mashing it, milling it to the right size, to how are you going to do your mashing? What is your yeast selection? What, uh, what characteristics and flavors and aromas are you trying to generate through fermentation by your selection of a specific yeast strain? And then how are you distilling that spirit in order to optimize whatever characteristics that you sort of envisioned in the beginning? And that's chemical engineering, basically. I mean, that's starting with grain and you know heating it up and adding yeast and then running it through fermentation and, and distillation. And that is the sort of uh, template of being a master distiller, mm. is you understand the fermentation process and the distillation process, and you have an idea of the spirit that you make, what it might taste like in, in 5, 10, 15 years, right? Because uh, distillers have to, distillers have to be very, very patient. Yes. It's a different skill set for blenders. Blenders, first of all, have the great privilege of not having to be nearly as patient as distillers because blenders can go and find stocks of properly aged whiskeys like, you know, like we have here and start tinkering with them. And the skill sets of a blender is not grain selection, fermentation conditions, understanding pH and and, and, and bacterial contamination and, and all of those things. The, the skills of a blender, and you said chef, right? I would say bartender, very similar, mm -hmm. is you have to understand how components can work together and play together. Distillers make the components, right? you know, which in the American whiskey tradition, the, uh, the distiller makes the spirit, that's the final product. That's what goes on the shelf in the bottle. Mm right a blender or a bartender takes that bottle off the shelf and blends it in new ways yeah right very different skill sets between being a distiller and being a blender and um i i was very lucky to get to spend five years working with dr berglund who you know for for my money was the you know one of the finest uh distillers you know the late great dr berglund is one of the finest distillers that i certainly have ever met um and he you know helped launch a, a hundred craft distilleries. Um, but being a blender uses the skills that you learn working behind a bar mm. more than That's understanding fermentation. It's a different skill set. Um, and it involves, you know, playing with nuanced flavors and saying, oh, maybe I want to substitute this rye out for this rye and see how it affects the, the character of the blend. And until you make a blend and taste it, it's very difficult to know what it's going to taste like you think it's like this intuitive thing and if you just add a little bit um you know it's just going to change a little bit it's not like that in cooking yeah. like if you're a chef you know you add a pinch of salt it's just beautiful you had two pinches of salt now it's past where it should be right and you've now diminished the quality like getting your spices right and your cooking techniques right is so critical to a chef um and to a bartender and and it, Blending has a lot more to do with bartending than it does with that, chemical engineering. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And we blended a whiskey, a rye, a high rye, and it has three to two percent corn, and that made all the difference. And you wouldn't, I mean, what a small amount of corn whiskey went into that blend. And it's a it's a wheat, it's a barley wheat. I'm sorry, rye wheat and corn blend. Um, we we partnered with Reservoir to make it. And it, it, it pressed me on how such small intervals did so much change. Do you think there's more room for error with the distiller or the blender, or would it be would the would the appropriate word be freedom, more freedom? So room for error, room for chance. 
if you're a distiller, uh, you know, you can make a perfect spirit or a perfect that was made uh, a spirit that was made exactly how you intended it to come out. You put it in 10 different barrels for a couple of years. You're going to essentially have 10 different spirits. Those each one of those barrels will taste different. So when I think about room for error, being a distiller naturally means you're you're it's where a product ends up is not necessarily in your hands. You're going to have to make sure you source from a great cooper and understand how they're getting the, the staves and how they're treating the staves and coopering the barrels and all of that, making sure that they're not cutting any corners mm -hmm. uh, because then you're waiting a very long time. And you have a subpar product. And that's the worst. Um, so there's, you know, being a distiller is kind of like being a farmer where, you know, if you're a farmer, that's and, good. And I, I, I know farm a bit and, um, and when it doesn't rain, I'm out there doing a rain dance because we need that rain. Yeah, and yeah, a yeah. lot of labor and a lot of time and a lot of capital goes down the chute. If, you know, things that you can't control don't happen. If the rain doesn't come, uh, you're screwed, right? You, you then don't have grains to distill. Um, so there's a lot of hope as a distiller. And then as a blender, there's, you have a lot more control. Because at that point, you've selected the spirits based on exactly where they are. Usually, you dump them out of the wooden vessel where they're changing very quickly. And you put them into some kind of non-reactive vessel, whether it's polyethylene plastic mm -hmm. or stainless steel or, or something. Because you want to halt the aging. You want to freeze it in time um, and make sure that you have a consistent product. And then you can play around with proofs because by adding you know, different dilution points, different compounds will come out of solution. Some compounds are more... Uh, soluble in water and some in more ethanol. So if you change that ethanol water uh, mixture, the character of the spirit, even the viscosity of the spirit is going to change. So there's a lot of trial and error in being a blender, but as long as you put in the time and, and approach tasting in a very open-minded way, you can really minimize the errors. You have a lot more control over the finished product. I like this conversation because it really... I want my listeners to fully understand the processes, but also the variance of creation in, in making whiskeys. And and when I'm when I bring up things like room for error, it's blending in my mind and the way I think about about it. It's a it's it's a it's you're painting a picture, but you have all the, the redos you want. You know what I mean? And and then you can submit the final versus you're doing a live show, which is kind of what it is to be a distiller. You know, it is what it is. It's got, it, it, maybe there's some tweaks you can make during the show, but once it goes in the barrel, you know, you kind of got to let nature do its, do its dance. Um, talk to me. Let's get, let's, the reason you're on the show, let's talk about gypsy. I mean, let's, let's dive in here. Um, so I'm drinking it. Um, it's, it's delicious, beautiful bottle beautiful everything's packaging color it's it's all there talk to me about your inspiration what you're getting what you what were you trying to approach here and then i want to talk a little bit about what i taste and 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 if i'm hitting the nail on the head but i want to hear your opinions and what you were trying to achieve um because it's a very unique in a good very good way flavor profile um but the stage is yours sell me your whiskey <laughs> right so we were trying to achieve something unique here, which is uh, taking individual whiskeys that any one of the individual whiskeys would be completely suitable to put into a bottle and sell as is, totally enjoyable by itself. But kind of like you brought up the metaphor of painting, uh, a distiller 
is sort of the person making the paints and a blender is kind of the person putting the I paints like together that. into a into a picture and what we wanted to do was almost the initial idea was what if we made a bourbon because it seems like in a thing that people do. People like to make a bourbon. Bourbon sells really well. There's a huge community around bourbon. We get to share stories through bourbon. Bourbon is one of the really great ways in which we can tell stories. Um, then we thought, well, instead of just putting out a bourbon um, to start to lead off this brand, what if we sort of deconstructed a bourbon? And instead of doing a 21% mash bill, uh, what if we took 21%, you know, instead of 21% rye in the mash, what if we did 21% rye whiskey of the most phenomenal rye whiskey we could find? And instead of using 9% uh, uh, malted barley in the mash, what if we found a really great mature single malt? Mm. And instead of using 70% corn in the mash, what if we found a spirit that was properly aged, that was a beautiful representation of one of the ways corn can express itself in whiskey. And so by taking essentially a corn whiskey, in this case, it's a seven and eight year old, 99% corn bourbon. That's the corn component. Uh, the rye component, the 21% of the deconstructed mash bill is a 20 year old Canadian rye. It's beautifully aged. Uh, things happen to rye in Canada in cooler climates that don't happen in warmer climates. We tend to think that all the good whiskey comes from a certain region. Uh, Kentucky and Tennessee and Indiana, sort of the Ohio River Valley has done a great job of, of creating the sort of American style of heavily oaked whiskey. It's mm. wonderful. Um, but cold weather can produce flavors that you could never get in a place like the Ohio River Valley. Mm. And there's reasons for this. Colder, you know, it, it, it's a colder climate. It's maturing in a colder climate. Cold liquid holds a lot more dissolved oxygen than warm liquid. And by holding 50% more dissolved oxygen, it catalyzes other chemical reactions to happen over the course of two decades. So you're going to get a very different flavor profile in a place like Canada than you would in a place like Tennessee. So we tasted rye whiskeys from all over the world and decided to go with this particular rye to start. Um, and then as far as single malt goes, again, not having a mash bill, this deconstructed mash bill, we tasted through a ton of single malts, blind tastings. Everything is blind. Um, and we came across a, a, a really great four and a half year old American single malt. So a new and emerging category. Yes. And once we sort of dialed in that we wanted to play around with deconstructed mash bills as sort of a fun thing to do and then find the right spirits to fill each of those uh, components, made a bunch of, got a bunch of samples of different corn forward whiskey, rye forward whiskey, malt whiskey. And we made a bunch of prototypes and started working through them and seeing which ones we liked, which ones resonated, which ones were so far out that we shouldn't come out the gate with them, and which ones were kind of pushing the envelope enough that folks would understand that we're playing with ideas, we're doing things a little bit different. Um, but it's still sort of very much within the structure of, of what we might expect from an American whiskey. But the kind of the longer you sit with it, you're like, I just haven't really had anything quite like this before like these components have never really been blended like this before that was kind of our thinking no i it, it's definitely not a typical blend so when a lot of people go to blends i mean a lot of whiskeys are blended um and depending on how far you want to go down into that 
definition. Um, but when people think blends, they think scotch. They think your scotch mm-hmm. blends. Um, now there are there are um, sourced whiskeys out there that are blending from different distilleries. There are there are blends happening within distilleries. You know, taking different mashes and whatever and blending them. Um, but when you think blend, you think consistent, straightforward, balanced flavor. Balance, Chris Morris told me one time, it's all about the balance. And I've thought about that consistently. But balance doesn't mean same. It doesn't mean one wave. It can be multiple waves of flavor and different flavors. I've found because of that comment, thinking that way and really diving into that thought process of balance and what that really means, I try to look for peaks and valleys of different flavors. So... It's funny you hit about the single American single malt. It's one of my favorite categories right now. Dear friends of mine that own um, Old Nine out of Baltimore. So they're doing a lot of single malts, American single malt. They're actually on the board. They're really pushing. I mean, they're they're a part of that process, that new movement into, uh, it's actually done, I think. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think we're official now um, as of this year. Um, uh, so I've been really a part of that with them. And American single malts are fantastic in their own way. But blending them with a bourbon seems like it could be, or blending them with a rye seems like you could almost lose that American maltiness. It's very gentle. Am I saying that right? It's not lost in this. It's, it's, I, I get it. I, I, I taste that unique American single malt, that barley flavor, the corns rounding it out, you know, the rye, that pepperness is there, but not overwhelming. It's, it's, it's all at the party and they're all, it's a balanced conversation. Does it make sense what I'm trying to say? That's a dangerous spirit to blend with it, it, from my layman's opinion, um, unless you know what you're doing, meaning rye is an overtaker very much so into an um, American single malt or barley seems to be very easily lost if you're not careful. Am I, am I, am I wrong? Or are you like, Bobby, no, it's the easiest thing to blend. What are you talking about? No, I don't think anything's particularly easy to blend. Um, yeah, true. Okay. Because, Fair enough. Because 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 with any blend, you always have basically an infinite number of blends or prototypes that you could make. So at some point, you have to make a decision. Like not, it's never easy because sometimes you'll have very different blends that are both very good, and you have to kind of determine which road to take. It's like recording a song, right? You can play it fast and hard, and it's really good, or you can slow that song down and develop. It's also really good. There's no right or wrong answer. It's totally a matter of preference, right? But yeah, balance, harmony, mm. um, a lot like of the that words word. that we use to describe food. Yeah, because yeah, you know, balance is an interesting concept. You should, should absolutely have balance. But if something has an inordinately long finish, is, does that mean it's it's you know balance is a really interesting concept. Yeah. It's something that you explore through whiskey harmony, harmony as well. My, harmony might be the better word. Yeah, yeah, or at least a a more uh, congruent word. It it's funny because we're talking about this balance and this consistently see and you, the finish. I'm I've this is my I'm halfway through this little bottle, so we'll say first glass. Um, it sits on your tongue like a Werther's. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really heavy, and it just kind of plants itself there. And there's a lot of oily whiskeys out there with a lot of mouthfeel, but this is a very dense feel in my mouth with like little, it's almost like a time-release capsule of flavor. Um, so 
when I'm saying, when I'm thinking balance or harmony, there's nothing, although it's different and, and, and the flavors are unique and I, and, and the finish is long and it's, it's very heavy on my tongue. Nothing is freaking me out. It, it, it nothing is out of tune, I guess. You know what I mean? There to, are to go some, to a music metaphor, I guess it's all well, in absolutely. Tune. And music's a great metaphor because we yeah. were talking about you know food and we were talking about painting. There are winemakers and distillers who have synesthesia, right? So they they associate one sense with another sense. So they can. There are people who you know when they see numbers, uh, it evokes feelings of colors. Uh, yeah. There's folks that taste things and it evokes feelings of colors if, if you're sort of visually oriented in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are folks you really want to talk to about the the interplay between, um, you know, painting and, and color and whatever they're, whatever they're, uh, whatever they're producing. I tend to think about things in terms of music. So that viscosity that you're talking about, that kind of that Werther's, that sort of butterscotch rich, oily viscosity that spreads across your tongue and then just kind of sits there. I love it. It's, it's like a big silk blanket. Mm. Um, for me, because it goes through like sort of a sound filter on my palate, I think about that as uh, like reverb, mm. like really kind of big, expansive reverb. If you're playing electric guitar, if you put one of the pickups on, it's going to have a lot of treble. Mm. Uh, if you put another pickup on, it's going to have a lot more low end, uh, it's sort of a much a different tone, a very different tone. And then you put the reverb in. Now you're like you sound like you're in an opera house or in a, in mm. a big sort of expansive room. And for some reason, mouthfeel to me always becomes associated with like, what's the level of reverb on that guitar? Um, I like that. And, and this one has like a very big sort of drippy like level of, of reverb. It just kind of sits there. No, I like that. Yeah, no, that's what a perfect analogy. I was thinking sim- like a bass guitar, but you know it's there. It's not just background noise. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's working with it. No, it's it's absolutely delicious um you, you did a great job you obviously know that it's a very unique category in itself um i can you know this there's not a lot of this happening i mean foreign whiskeys are doing this blending from other countries and whiskeys they find is it safe to say that in america that i don't i don't want to say fear but there's this uncomfortableness or maybe people are just aren't doing it it's like blending now Canada sourcing whiskey isn't new. I mean, Whistle Pig, you know, things like that. That it's been done, but to purposely do it to to the point where no, we're just looking for what's the best out there. I'm, you know, if the best tomatoes in Italy, that's where I'm getting it from. You know what I mean? And I, I, I think I like. I think that's there's a little more honesty in that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And 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 I'm I'm it, I happen to be a. Uh, a tomato guy. <laughs> they're I not in. Tomatoes. Are they not in Italy? <laughs> no, they're all right, exactly. No. But there's a lot of different types of tomatoes. Mm. And, and it, this is I'm drawing a parallel between what we were saying about Canadian mm. whiskey and what you were saying about tomatoes. There's a lot of different types of, of tomatoes, mm. uh, and depending on what you're making, you use a different type of tomato. Same with onions. You know, you use sure. a diff- very different onion depending on what you're making. And Canada has a wide variety of rye whiskeys, a wide variety of styles and characteristics. And so um, if you're looking for, and in many cases, because of the the maturation conditions that we talked about earlier, um, as well as, you know, they're just kind of more rye centric people, 
um, or more rice centric distilling culture, I should say. Um, there's like a whole palette of styles of rye whiskey available in Canada. And you have to choose the correct rye that services the particular blend that mm. you're working on. So we have stocks of multiple types of rye from various places and our stocks of Canadian rye really exist on a whole spectrum from sort of very sort of light and bright treble heavy uh to like super low-end reverb kind of like what you're we're tasting here I like that um and what we love is the concept of, of cross category blends so rather than and, and there's a reason there's if, at least from from my point of view we're obsessed with this concept of mash bills mm. like all of the grains that you're putting in um to a mash like the character of those grains are going to like naturally be optimized mm. when you ferment them all together there's there's no reason to assume right that if you throw everything into a crock pot uh you know you throw something in the crock pot it's possible that you can overcook one component and undercook another component if you're cooking in a crock pot. And mashing can be similar. Mm. I've had experiences where uh have found you know really amazing corn, really amazing rye, really amazing malt, put them in a single mash bill. You know, you choose your yeast strain, or sometimes you ferment with two yeast strains. And it doesn't give you the full characteristic of each one of those components because it turns out that those grains like different fermentation conditions. But if you were to ferment each one of those grains individually and distill them to optimize for the character of each one of those components and then put them back together after distillation, right? You would have a spirit conceptually, theoretically, that would uh, better express each of those ingredients. And that's kind of what, that's kind of our approach, you know, with this product is understanding that, um, the fermentation conditions that make really great corn spirit are not necessarily the same sure. conditions under which single malt expresses itself the best way. And if you're distilling and you're throwing everything in together, you you may or you may not be optimizing certain characteristics in that mash. But if you're blending grain forward whiskeys, then you know, and, and, and if you're agnostic about category, if writing bourbon on the label isn't like your super high priority, but but making sure that the bourbon that's in your blend is servicing that blend or the corn spirit that's in that blend is servicing that blend. Then it's just kind of a different approach to, to whiskey making. I love that. Um, uh, it seems common sense, but I've never had it explained to me before about if I'm going to source different grains for my blend or to blend a whiskey, it, it makes sense to take them from different places. That's going to make it better. And on top of that, and I, you've listeners have heard me say this before, rye is an asshole grain. I mean, it it's 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 it gunks up your machines. It's it's very it, it plays differently than other grains do. So, in my opinion, anybody that's willing to put their efforts into rye is already has the patience of a nun, or it's just a different world. Um, grain corn people seem to be very much more pleasant than rye people rye people seem to have been through something there's some chaos behind rye um as a rye person myself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i farm rye yeah for whiskey is it right? not I a want. tough grain is it not a kind of a you're you're talking about the production end yeah and production. everyone agrees that on the production end rye is a bear yeah like it it um it acts very differently than corn corn is very pleasant to work with yes um 
ride to your point it it does a lot of things including gunking up equipment but if you backtrack even in the field and this is something that i've come to learn over the past couple of years corn is so much not only easier to grow than rye but less expensive to grow and your yields are like maybe four times it's an excess higher. crop correct i mean i mean there's it's 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 so just for perspective, a bushel is 56 pounds mm. of grain and an acre of corn. I'm not going to get too into numbers, but let's just say that like mm. an acre of corn, you can get 200 bushels of corn. OK, and that corn is like 80 percent starch. So you're going to create a lot of alcohol. Mm. Starch converts into alcohol. So you can get 200 uh, bushels of corn on an acre at 80 percent starch rye you can maybe get 50 bushels of rye on that same acre and it's 65% starch. So off the bat, you are diminishing your yield for the same amount of labor. You're paying for the same amount of land, but you're cutting your yield in a quarter just on a weight basis. But even in that bushel, corn has 80% starch and rye only has 65% starch. So you're, you're cutting your yield just immeasurably. You kind of have to be a little insane yeah. uh, to go into rye, unless the only thing that justifies going uh, being a rye person is you, know, you take a tour of a, of a distillery in Kentucky and what do they call rye? The flavoring grain. Yeah. If your concern is flavor, rye is a very interesting place to explore. Yeah. It's, it's a very, I don't want to say overpowering because that's a, that's a naughty word, but it is a very full, like, you know, when you're drinking your rye, I struggled with rye for a very long time until I think that we're just scratching, just yes. barely scratching the surface of the huge spectrum of characteristics available in rye, because not only does each varietal of rye, like each varietal of grape yeah. have a different characteristic, how you choose to ferment it, you can optimize for spice, you can minimize spice, you can yeah. optimize for floral that's all based in the yeast selection. And then the proof at which you take the product off the still is going to have a massive influence over things like mouthfeel and flavor. So if you decide to take the rye off um, at 130 proof coming off the still, it's going to be oily and viscous. And if you use a spicy um, yeast, it's going to have that sort of normal, what we consider normal traditional American If you use a different yeast strain and optimize for floral character and then put it through a taller still or, or rectify it more highly, bring it off at 150 or 160 proof, you're going to have a, a sweet ethereal floral character, which is not a characteristic that we currently associate with rye, but that you can very easily create with rye. I think we're just at the beginning no, you, of understanding what rye can do. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, diving into rye for the first time, um, I'm, I'm even doing a future episode a live podcast series called Rye Curious um, because I'm just, I got, I got to understand it better. I hated rye and at the very beginning. And then it was Catoctin. Um, my friends at Catoctin, I tried theirs and, it, and it's a very chocolatey orange. I don't know if you ever had orange chocolate or chocolate covered mm -hmm. oranges. It's unique and different. It, it reminded me, I'm like, this is not the rye I thought I knew. So it's really it helped me experience rye in a very better in a, in a better way um this the gypsy the rye is the rye is like a um 
and I mean this in a complimentary, a garnish. It's not, it's not aggressive. It's not, it doesn't take away from any of the other greens. I'm, I'm getting the sweetness, very flowery, very citrusy, very, a lot of those chocolate notes I like. I'm also drinking coffee and it's nine o'clock in the morning. So, I mean, those could change things, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's there like a cilantro would be. It's, it's, it, I feel like if it was too much more, I would be like, that's too much. If there was too little, I'm like, did you even put that in there? It, with if you're a cilantro fan, you can only put so much cilantro. I mean, it's got to be the right amount. You can't kill, overdo it, and you can't underdo it. It's got to be the perfect amount of cilantro or any other onion or whatever you want to use. I feel like rye is the same way. It, it, there's got to be a balance because I've had some blends with rye that I was like, you made rye, bud. That's all you made. You know what I mean? There's no corn in this. But then I've had them when they're really, really, really done really well. And it's complimentary. So that's, I mean that in a very, very good way from somebody that's still battling rye as a, uh, as a, as a component, as an ingredient myself. You know, one of the things that rye can do, cause you're right, it, it doesn't always play well with others, mm. right? Cause, cause it can be overpowering. Um, but number one, like there is this huge variety of characteristics mm. available to rye and it would be wonderful. And I hope that whisk, whiskey makers and blenders 10, 20 years from now have a whole library of rise to choose from for their blends because we currently don't really have that. Um, but it would be great to see distillers creating blending components in addition to just shelf-ready products. I, I think we're heading in that direction. Um, but rye, you can't be too heavy-handed with it. This is where you kind of put on your, you take off your chemical engineer hat and put on your bartending hat because like any component in a cocktail, you don't want it to be overpowering. It needs to have that harmony. Yeah. Um, I love or, that word. You know, in, or in, in painting, you can, the, the way you can achieve um, depth, one of the ways you can achieve depth in a painting is by using uh, dark ink, like black paint, to create uh, shadows, which which creates depth, mm. right? Because shadows, and, and you don't need very much uh, black paint to change a painting significantly and create this three-dimensional sense of perspective. Uh, and, and rye can kind of be similar in that it can provide depth as long as you don't overdo it. Yeah. It's like prosciutto and watermelon or something like, you know what I mean? It, it's that, that, that contrary balance, but balance, harmony, whatever word you want to use, um, brought, you hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, this is absolutely delicious. I, I cannot, and I, I've say this all the time. I want to cocktail it because I feel like good whiskeys deserve to be the main stage in a cocktail. I, I, you, you speak the same language, but there are a lot of people out there. My cheap whiskey goes in cocktails. I keep hearing it. Here we are, I don't know, 20 years into the whiskey revolution, and people are still putting shit whiskey in their cocktail. You can use good whiskey in your cocktails. Um, hide shit whiskey. Don't buy it. You know, just give it to friends. They don't know. Um, what, what's, <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic point. Uh, we, we keep on saying that, you know, a blender kind of approaches a distiller uh, like a bartender mm. uh, approaches, um, you know, a bottle of whiskey and, and we've put, we've assembled this whiskey and, and I should, I should, I should have said at the out front, at the outset, both Eric and Raj and our entire team were involved in this blending process and going through protocols. Yes. It's not just a single person yeah, yeah, involved yeah. with this. Like, it's like there's significant involvement. I meant to, I meant to bring that everyone. up before. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I really, did, I really did. That was kind of my approach at the very beginning to the whole celebrity piece. I was going somewhere with that. 
and I'm glad you said that and I'll let you have it back, but these guys are involved. They're not they're not mm-hmm. making they're not you're talking, but they're they're back. They're with you. And I see that I, in my research and in, in the media kit and just learning about your doing my research behind the scenes, talking to people I know in the industry, they are involved. So, yes, you have a you have a celebrity backed whiskey, but the celebrity is involved much like uh, the other celebrities we've had on the show are doing the same thing. So anyway, I, I digress. Oh, everything from the liquid concept yeah. uh, to, to thank you, you know, for st- yeah. working on the blend and, and the design and the whole element, which, which is part of the joy of this. Like it's a collaborative process and no one person's involved in uh, it, it's not highly siloed. We're a team that, that works creatively together, but I agree. I think um, just like a bartender might look at a bottle of sh- uh, at, a, at a whole shelf of bottles and say, those are all components. To some people, those are finished products. You just want to have a shot. But to some people, like a bartender, those are components in a cocktail. Yeah. And I think it's really great that you would that you would look at a blend and say, even though that blend is the culmination of all these components and blending techniques and everything, it too can yes. become a component in another. Absolutely. Yes. Why not? I mean, totally. And it's infinite. So it's like it's about creating and you can take a blend and you can absolutely have a cocktail out of it. I think this makes a phenomenal cocktail. Um, I, and I think that you're going to see some more cocktail influences in some of our future releases because it makes sense to blur the line between blending and, and cocktails and spirits and, and cocktails. And that's a, what you just brought up is something that we talk about a lot and yeah. something that we're playing with because ultimately our whole creative process is pretty playful. Um, I dig that. And I think that you're going you're to see in future releases that yes, there's a whiskey blending component, but there's this cocktail component that's also pretty interesting. And I love, and I think some of the best makers I've ever met have had a background in in, cock, in cocktail or mixology or bartending or you know it, whether it was at Applebee's or a high end bar in New York. They always they have this ability to say, "I know what tastes good." because I've watched people's faces after I've slid the glass mm-hmm. over to them and nothing can speak louder than that. I mean, your, your, your marketing, your, your, your bottle shape, your, it's all there. But at the end of the day, it's, what do they say when they when they drink it for the first time, when they sip it, I half the time when I find a new whiskey, I love, I pour it. I don't even tell the person what they're drinking. I just like hand it to them. Like, Hey, what do you think about this? And then their, their face says it all. And they always say, is this such and such? And I'm like, it's not stop guessing. Just tell me, do you like it or not? Um, and I think this is one of those fun ones I'm going to play with when I pull the book off the shelf. Um, I'm not going to take up too much of your time, man. I hope we got to do this again. Cause I have more to talk about. I want to learn more. I, I gladly, I expected this to be, a conversation about a great whiskey. I didn't expect us to nerd out so much, which is my favorite thing to do. Um, and I already know my listeners are going to say, get them back on so we can talk more in depth. I want to get the product name out there. I want to get the name to my people. So they're out there buying it. I want your, I want to support, but I want to have you back on so we can talk a little bit more about your travels and the whiskey making process, what you learned, um, from the late great doctor. And, uh, I want to learn it all, man. I, I love these deep conversations, and I don't get them enough. Before I let you go, though, I have one question, probably the most important question. How did working with ostriches teach make you a better whiskey maker? <laughs> well, if nothing else, I learned that uh, what I want to do with my life 
is not working with ostriches. <laughs> Those bastards. <laughs> uh, there's a video. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a. Uh, it's like TikTok of this woman who raises ostriches, and they're always running up on her, like they're going to attack her, and she's always like putting her f- hand up to their throat and telling them to stop because I guess they're kind of jerks, but then they're also sweet. Oh, yeah. In their own little no, way, they're no, just jerks. they're just, just jerks. Okay, I didn't. I never saw the sweetness. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, working with ostriches should teach you that there's better ways of spending your time than working with those, yeah, basically dinosaur beasts that that are jerks and aggressive and will kick yeah. you and 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 break your ribs and all of that. My ribs were never broken. Thank I had God. colleagues who uh, who endured broken bones, but uh, it goes back. To come full circle to what you said at the very beginning of this, which is uh, we, in a sense, are the stories that that we tell and the stories that we live and we're the author of our own stories. And the more interesting uh, predicaments we can put ourselves in, um, I think the more we just kind of make a habit of opening our mind and challenging traditional expectations that have been given to us, whether it's working in a place that's uncommon or approaching whiskey making in a way that's uncommon. Um, I think that uh, doing the unexpected, right. And, 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 and trying things that maybe a lot of people don't have experience doing. I mean, it all kind of revolves around that. Ari, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that people out there like you exist that are willing to push the boundaries and give us offerings that are unique and different than what we're used to. Um, beautiful packaging, but just a great spirit. This is an excellent whiskey. Um, I can't wait to see more. I can't wait to see what else you, you come out up with. Your mind has to be... I, I mean, it's probably a circus in there, and I mean that as a compliment. Um, just what ride can I put up next? You know, where what boundary can I push? I don't want to kill the kids, but I want to scare the hell out of them uh, kind of thing. So I respect that, and uh, it means a lot. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to more conversations with a man. I mean, I mean that. I mean that. Uh, I, I'm impressed. And again, if you're going to drink a whiskey at 10 o'clock in the morning and talk to a friend, uh, Gypsy is the one to do it, is the one to do it with, and Ari's the person to talk to. Um Chasers, it's if if I've ever said this before, I, I I probably haven't meant it as much as I do right now. It's not about finding the perfect dram. It's absolutely all in the chase. Go find something different. Go find something unique. Um, let these storytellers tell you a cool story. That's all it is. There's these are stories. Listen, drink it up. Yeah, that's my plug. All right, thank you so much, man. Thank you. <laughs>